Welcome to Real Stories MKE, brought to you as part of X-Fabula's work to connect Milwaukee through real stories. I'm Joel Driesang. And I'm Kim Shine. X-Fabula believes that everybody has personal stories worth sharing. And you guys know we coach storytelling workshops where folks can build their skills and their confidence. We also host the Story Slams, where true stories are shared on stage. And today, we are bringing you four of those powerful stories. Indeed, we are. Uh, and uh, this theme today is for parenting. You're a parent. I'm not. I am a parent, but you've been parented, you, you know, I have been so parented. yeah, so you, everybody can relate. Um, you know, my, my experience tells me that um, parenting is, uh, it brings some of life's most ecstatic and exasperating moments. Unconditional love comes with occasional heartache, but overall being part of a child's life and development is wonderfully rewarding and it's an awesome responsibility. And thankfully kids are resilient because not all parenting is good. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, Although I haven't been a parent, I have friends and family members and little cousins and all that stuff who obviously are younger than me. And um, it's nice to be able to impart just wisdom or just be there for their their victories, just whatever. That's really nice to right. see. Yeah, that. we actually have a story about generational love, and, yeah. and it's just nice to have that sort of um, familial responsibility in there. You know, I've, I've got three grown daughters. And um, I suppose um, I'll always be parenting them. But um, I've been amazed at how much I feel like they've helped raise me rather than the other way around. Yeah, it's so true. And, and it's, it's actually kind of cool. But the first time um, I changed a diaper as a dad, I was sleep deprived, flustered. <laughs> My daughter, uh, you know, newborn was thrashing and, and wailing and she's fit to be tied. And, and at one point, I swear, she looked up at me and, and noticed me and it was like she said to herself, this old man needs a minute. And, and, and she, it's like she calmed herself down and just stayed still and let me do my duty. Let you do the do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's awesome. I, even, even though babies can't speak, I mean, I know they're still developing, but they know what's going oh, on. Oh, yeah. Oh, they, <laughs> they do. They, they know do. what they're doing. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> well, um, I, like I said, you know, I'm not a parent, but when I was younger— I always thought about how many kids I would have and, you know, whether it would be a boy or a girl first, that kind of thing. And when I was younger, I wanted two boys and a girl. So, like, a boy first and then some twins. Oh, yeah. And then I'd be completely done. Nowadays, I don't know about that. That may that may change. Sure, <laughs> sure. Our first parenting story uh, comes from Deshaun Ewing. He shared this story at the Generation Story Slam in 2018. Here's Deshaun. Surprise, surprise. Um, I am a first generation born in Milwaukee through way of Arkansas. Um, I know that sounds weird, but it's true. And I'm actually two generations removed from being a sharecropper in Arkansas. History is not as far behind us as we want it to be. My father, Fred Ewing, decided not to name me after himself. He is Fred Ewing Jr. I could easily be a third. My family follows the tradition of often naming this oldest child, or male child, after the father. So I should be Fred Ewing II. There's a Philip Ewing Jr. There's a George Ewing Jr. There's an Oscar Jr. And many, many more beyond that. 
The reason I bring this up is because the history of my family is deep and rich through the soils of Arkansas. A town called Marvel near Poplar Grove, not far from West Helena. My dad attended Eminem Tate in Marvel, Arkansas. He also went to what is now Arkansas University, Pine Bluff. The interesting part about my history is that we continue to fight the fight that my father fought. The reason he didn't stay in Arkansas is because he couldn't fight the fight and not end up dead. He believed that if he stayed there, he wouldn't be here today to have me as his son. And the truth is that generations and generations continue to fight the fight. We continue to move forward, even though it seems like days go by and we take few steps back. My father is my role model. I believe in him because he believes in us, his children, five of them. My mother and father have been married for 45 years. I count the blessings. I count each year as a miracle. My father taught me a lesson. The woman he married 45 years ago is not the woman he's married to today. But he's decided to love her each and every second along the way. Yeah, please clap. Because I don't know if you understand and realize I tear up at the thought of that. Because I am once divorced. I hope not to be twice. And I'm not married as of yet for the second time. In case anyone is interested and cares. We'll talk after this. But I do believe in generational love. And I believe in the fact that my sister, who did not grow up with us, but because of the love of my parents, grew up in another location, visited me recently. And we got the chance for the first time, even though we're nine years apart, to hang out together and enjoy each other in a way that was so special that to this very, very moment, I will never change it or trade it for the world. There's a beauty in loving your family. There's a beauty in loving your history. There's a beauty in loving the truth that might be as ugly as the day is long. There's a beauty in loving the truth that is as ugly as the day is long. And we have all had long and trying days. But through the generations, we learn survival. And I hope and pray we learn not to just survive, but to thrive through it all. There, that's our story about generational love. I, I love the, the, that term. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a nice term. And it matters because how you were loved and how you were raised, you know, influences how you pass that sure, on. Sure, right. Just his father's influence and, mm-hmm. and knowing what his father did to, to come here to Milwaukee to, to raise his family is, is so important. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, should we move on to our next story? Yes. All right. Well, we have another one for you guys. It's from Tom Matthews, and he told this story at our Parenting Story Slam in March of this year, 2023. Here's Tom. So um, in 1986, I was in a heavy metal hip-hop band called Down By Law. I know that's hard to believe because a lot of people tell me I look like a cop. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that, 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 
that experience afforded me the opportunity to meet a lot of interesting people and artists. And one of uh, those artists or bands was a band called Fishbone. And they were out of uh, South Central Los Angeles. They were a heavy metal ska band, an African-American heavy metal ska band. Um, So we didn't really fit in, and they didn't really fit in, and we became fast friends. Uh, Fast forward to about 2018. I'm at the Nick with my son, who's an accomplished musician. He's a jazz pianist. And I ran into a former student of mine, uh, Wesley McVicker. And Wesley, when he's not playing drums with Hall & Oates, plays with Sheila E. And he told me, well, I'm on the road with Sheila E. And I said, man, you must be pretty good to back up Sheila E. So he said, yeah, come see me next week at the Auditorium Theater in Chicago. And I was like, yeah, yes to that. So so we made plans. My son James and I made plans. And we... um, you know, we, we, we booked a room at the Palmer House, and we bought tickets not trusting the whole guest list thing. And, and we got tickets for the Amtrak. And the Friday before the show, the day before the show, I learned that it had been canceled. So I called James, and I said, do you think we can find anything to do in Chicago on a Saturday night? And he's 14 now. He said Hell yeah. <laughs> so I was like, all right. So I, I went to the reader online, which is the equivalent of the Shepherd Express. Um, and I found that Fishbone was playing around the corner from the Palmer House on Saturday night. So we went down to Chicago and uh, we checked in the hotel. And we went around the corner and we got to the show early. And Angelo was the lead singer in Fishbone. And he remembered me. And uh, I introduced him to James, and I said, James, this is Angelo. Angelo, this is James. And uh, I said, Angelo, he's a musician. And Angelo put his arm around my son's shoulder, and he said, well, your father tells me you're a musician, son. And my son said, well, yes, I play keys, I play bass, I play timbales. And Angelo said, well, I'll tell you what, you keep doing that, that way, when you're old like me, you can still get paid, <laughs> which I think was pretty good advice at the time. Well, we went to the front row, and we watched the show, went back to the hotel. Next day, we go to the train station. We're on the Amtrak. We're coming back, and I, I turned to him, and I said, well, what did you think of the show? And he said, that show was wild. And I said, yes. And I said, you know You've got a drum kit at home, you got a keyboard rig, you got a bass rig, you got a guitar rig. What do you say I get some multi-track recording equipment? We'll set up a studio and you can compose your own music. He's like, "No, I'm good." <laughs> I said, "What what's that mean you're good?" He said, "Just cuz you were into it doesn't mean I am." <laughs> Parenting can be soul crushing. (laughs) I really enjoyed Tom's story, and not because he went to Chicago, but that was great. (laughs) (laughs) Because it involved music. That's why you liked it. Yes. It involved music, and then there was a twist at the end. I so thought that his son was going to be so ecstatic, and then he's like, "Uh, no, that's lame. 
So, Kim, let's do some ultra shorts. I always love when we do ultra shorts. So those are the little slips of paper we pass out at Story Slams and people write a couple of sentences that are a true story about themselves that relate to the theme of the Story Slam. Um, This is from Linda. Our daughter came out at 14, met a girl a month later. Her girlfriend came out trans two months later. We practically adopted him. Our 11-year-old son was the most accepting and got the pronouns right from the beginning. We are sad that they are no longer together, but we know we made a difference at least when they were together. We loved them. That's very sweet. Yes. This next one is from Anonymous. In middle school, my best friend and I were terrified of our parents, so we created secret identities for our boyfriends, changed their names and our phones, came up with elaborate stories, and even went as far as taking fake photos with <laughs> wigs. Because of me, I'm terrified of being oh, a Oh, yeah. There you go. So, Kim, here's another ultra short. Um, It comes from our recent work collaborating with the community. It's a nonprofit that works to correct the narrative around incarceration, and it fosters the full potential of people with criminal records. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're collecting ultra shorts from incarcerated individuals in in an attempt to provide equitable opportunities for everyone to share stories. This story was submitted anonymously. She falsely accused me of abusing my kids. Zero evidence. Only allegations. I'm serving 200 years for shit I didn't do. While I was in the county jail fighting her false allegations, she moved to Colorado and was arrested there for savagely abusing our kids. The same beautiful kids she falsely accused me of abusing. Injustice, corruption, anger, forlorn, abandoned, Wisconsin pariah, Nobody will help me. Somebody, please help me. Thanks, Joel, for reading that one. Um, definitely trying to make sure, again, that we make this equitable. Yes. And that everyone can share their story, regardless of whatever their experience is with the topic that we have at hand. And wherever they are. Mm-hmm. So we have another story now from Nelson Lopez. He shared this story at our Fatherhood Story Slam in 2016. Here's Nelson. My dad, I really never had a dad, but he told me that I was his kid number 99. I thought, and it was like, Jay? <laughs> so, so according, in his mind, he has, or he had 99 kids, and uh, he never liked any of them. He, he got married once. His wife, actually, his first wife, this year turns 100, and she's still alive. He, he died when I was nine. Uh, but, but we have, now through Facebook, I've met a lot of my brothers and sisters. And uh, when my father died, I met a lot of them. And I didn't know I had so many brothers and sisters. You know, I, I thought he was joking when he said that he had 99 kids. And... Uh, Fortunately or unfortunately, I am the number 99. I'm that magical number. And every single kid has a different story. He never lived with with us, with my brother and me. He never lived with us. And uh, uh, I'm grateful for that. Uh, He had, with one family, he had five kids. And he gave three names to every kid. He was into Russian literature at the time. 
and he gave Russian names to every kid. So, and, and he was always, he was always drunk. And, uh, and, and when, when I tell the story of my father is he, he never, never, never had one friend. Never. And yet he had 99 kids. So he, somebody told me he was busy making love. <laughs> but my father was one of those people who would come to his house, whoever family he was living with, and he wouldn't talk to anybody. He would just come, and it was 3 p.m., and he would tell people, all right, everybody, go to sleep. It was 3 p.m. I said, go to sleep, everybody. And everybody had to go to sleep. Otherwise, you know, in his craziness, he would just react, get angry, and do crazy stuff. One of my brothers that I met a few years ago, he lives in Texas. He said that when he was 20, he decided that he was going to kill my father. And he got a gun. And he was waiting for my dad. And when my dad came home, he said, okay, I'm ready. Now you, you're going to die today. And my father, you know, didn't really talk much. He said, what, you are going to kill me? <laughs> you are not man enough to kill me. And my brother was 20. And he was shaking. And he, was, he decided he was going to end my dad's life that day. You know how much torment he had uh, through his 20 years. And he was ready, and he was going to do it. He said, you, you don't have the balls to do it. You won't do it. And he pulled the trigger, and the gun didn't go. And my dad was laughing at him. He said, see, I told you, right? You wouldn't do it. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. And my brother said that at, the mo at that moment, he had to leave the house. And uh, I am from El Salvador originally, and he left he came to the United States by, by himself. Um, and now I have, my oldest daughter is nine, and I'm trying to do everything completely different. What my father did uh, to his children and what he did to me, I'm trying to do everything that is very different. My daughter, she, she can say anything. I always tell her the truth, and she knows that I'm not going to lie to her. When she asked me about Santa Claus... I got a phone call from the school that she had told every kid that Santa Claus was not real. And the teacher said, was that necessary? But, I was, but, but that's one of the things that I want because I was always silenced as a kid. I was always, uh, my laughter was always repressed. And one of the things that I wanted her to do was to live her life to the fullest. Thank you. You know, Kim, uh, Nelson's in story is a, an encouraging example of how most parents are driven to help their kids' lives be better than their own. And that's a powerfully good thing. Yeah, um, even though it started off a little serious um, and real. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I loved how it ended with the daughter telling her schoolmates that Santa wasn't real. He's like, come on now. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is what we're dealing sure, with. Sure, sure, yeah. But, but I, I love the fact that he wanted to change the perspective and change everything for his daughter. Right, yeah. 
So we have an update from Nelson. Um, he said that since the story, he has met 19 of his siblings. And actually, I wonder how many there wow. really are. Yeah. He says that all of them have a similar set of memories like his. And he's a coach with Exfabulous. So he's working on a novel about, well, a fictitious father that had 99 kids. Oh, fact-based fiction. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Interesting. So, Kim, how about some more ultra shorts? You know, I think this is the perfect time. Let's go. Okay. Here's an ultra short from Anonymous. My six-year-old son had a lot of interest in spinning to make himself dizzy. At a crowded playground, I offered to show him how to spin extra fast on a tire swing. He jumped on. I spun him and swung him in circles at the same time. He started to look pale, so I stopped (laughs) the swing. He got off and puked. The other moms standing around watching shook their heads in disgust. Then he asked to do it again. Yes. We love this child. We love this child so much. And those moms being judgmental. Yes. The kid was having fun. Yeah. (laughs) We have another one also from Anonymous. My mother used to keep pepperoni slices on the bottom shelf of the freezer door. As a small toddler, I'd sneak out of bed and crawl through the dark kitchen to retrieve my secret prize, pre-sliced and pumped full of preservatives. It wasn't until my teenage years that I learned she did this on purpose. She wanted me to have my secret because if anything could make an adult as happy as icy bites of cheap meat made me, the world would be a better place. Oh, my gosh. What a story. Yeah. That's how I feel about yeah. pickles. Do you? Well, I used to feel that yeah. way when I was a kid. Oh, I would sn- I would eat. Man, you buy the thing of pickles, they'd be gone. <laughs> Our final parenting story comes from Bethany Leonard. She shared this story at the Family Stories Genealogy Story Slam in 2019. Here's Bethany. Hello. I'm so lucky I have the sweetest mother in the world. But my mother could worry you to death. She's anxious about everything, and she's so tender-hearted, you can't get impatient or angry because she would just be so hurt. So I just have to breathe through it. Last year, my Aunt Lenora died, the last of all my aunts and uncles, so I drove up to northern Wisconsin to get my mother, pick her up. She's very nervous about the trip. We're going to stay overnight on the way, halfway, and then continue on. Get her in the car. She's all settled. My mother's 86. Just as we're passing the first exit where we should, could turn around, she says, Oh, I forgot my nitroglycerin. And for a second I thought, that's okay. But then I realized, am I going to be a sibling that took my mother out of state without her nitroglycerin and she has a heart attack? No, we have to turn around. But then she starts saying, let's not turn around at the next exit. I'll be fine. She doesn't want to bother anybody. And I'm thinking, no, of course we're going to turn around. But then she says, well, we can stop at a pharmacy when we get to the hotel. And I thought, that sounds reasonable. So I let the next exit go by. She's quiet for a moment and says, I would really feel better if we went back and got my medicine. And the next exit is a half an hour down the road. So just breathe, turn all the way back around, we go get our medicine, and we're on the road again. And there are lots of these stress-inducing anxieties along the way until we get there. I think, I can't wait. We have two separate rooms. I'm going to put her in her room. I'm going to go in my room and just relax. And she says to me, what are you going to do? You're going to go to bed, honey, right away. And I said, I, probably, but I'm going to have some chicken because I'm hungry. She said, chicken? What chicken are you going to eat? 
Well, this morning when I left Milwaukee, Doug sent some chicken with me. And she said, that has not been refrigerated. You can't eat that chicken. Don't want to worry her, but I'm hungry. So I just say, I'm not eating any chicken, Mom. Don't worry. And I go back to my room and I ate every little bite of that chicken I possibly could. Four o'clock in the morning, I wake up with the worst food poisoning of my life. I'm flat out on the floor in the bathroom thinking, how am I going to drive all the rest of the way down to Illinois to this funeral that my mother has to get to? She's now like the matriarch of the whole family. So I laid on the bathroom floor and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I thought, oh, thank God I feel better. But it was 10 minutes before we're supposed to leave. And we're going right to the funeral. So I scramble and I get my mother. And now she's anxious because we're going to be late. And I'm trying to calm her down. And she's, do you know how to get there, Bethany? Well, I'm fine. I have my GPS. And so I'm driving, driving, driving. And it takes us off to the country, some back roads. And she starts in, where are we? This isn't the way to go. Bethany, where's the highway? And I'm thinking, I have no idea where the highway is. I'm following my GPS on my phone. So I'm trying to calm her down, trying to stay and calm myself. We get to the funeral. Of course, we're late, right? And the cousins are all there. They're waiting for my mother. And I walk down the aisle. And as I walk down the aisle, my cousin Christine comes. It's her mother that we're burying. It's her second mother that we're burying. Her first mother died when she was 12. This was a stepmother, the mother she'd had all the remainder of her life. She looked so grief-stricken. And I was hugging her, and the funeral director came and brought this big, I don't know why, this big red chair and stuck it right in front for my mother. All the rest of the chairs were like this. And I went and sat down next to my mother so they could begin. And I looked, and I thought, oh, my gosh, she looks so tiny, this little lady in this big red chair. So I put my arm around her, and I held her hand, and I turned around and looked back at all my cousins, and I realized... I am the only one of us who has a mother. And I don't care about the nitroglycerin or the chicken or food poisoning or whether or not we're lost. I'm so privileged to be able to put my arm around my mother and hold her hand and look at her face. You know, Kim, I think Bethany reminds us of the other side of parenting, being parented. Um, that's not always easy, but you sensed from her a gratitude and respect for her mom that pushed her through that misadventure, yeah. And her mom was so right about not eating that chicken. (laughs) Moms aren't always right, but when they are, they they are, are. yes. (laughs) Uh, We actually have an update from Bethany. She said listening to the story again brought a tear to her eye. She said, I'm fabulously lucky to have such a wonderful mother who, at 90 years old, continues to be my dear friend. That's awesome. Sweet. Is it over now? Yes, that's all the time we have for this episode, yeah. But don't worry, you can find more episodes of Real Stories MKE wherever you listen to podcasts. And Fabula has been connecting Milwaukee through Real Stories since 2009. So there are plenty of audio and video stories at xfabula.org. And Joel, this is the end of the season, too. For season three, yes. We're finishing our third season. I have so many tears in my eyes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Not really, but really, though. They're in my heart, guys. And as you all know, our website, you can find all this stuff on our website because it lists upcoming storytelling workshops, story slams, and we hope that you guys will join us at an event. Share a story. Do an ultra short. We tell you about these things all the time. 
You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you to everyone who makes this program possible, including ex fabulous staff, the storytellers, producer Lauren Instanis, and audio engineer Sam Woods. Thanks also to the Season 14 sponsors of our public story slams, including Transfer Pizzeria Cafe, Wealth Management Advisor Charlie Robluski, SRH Marketing, Gagne McChrystal DeLorenzo and Burkhart, and, speaking of parenting, Norris Inc., which helps people to become therapeutic foster parents. Look at all that support. We love that. I love it. Thank you guys so much. For Real Stories MKE and for Season 3, I'm Kim Shine. And I'm Joel Dree saying, remember, everyone has a story. Think about telling yours. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.